Because we addressed some quite crazy things in this video, I thought I'd give this brief disclaimer. Everything that I can find source-wise for everything that we have mentioned in this video, I will put in the description below. But in terms of Cynthia, she has been repeatedly on the correct side of history since the civil rights movement. That's, that's over 60 years. And everything she has said in the past has turned out to be true. So I would at least give her the time of day to hear her out. So enjoy the podcast, but don't take it too seriously unless you want to. Let's go for it. Okay. <laughs> so um, hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Chatter. Uh, today, I'm here with Cynthia McKinney, a former Democratic Congresswoman uh, turned Green Party presidential and then vice presidential candidate under uh, Jesse Ventura. Um, you, yeah. <laughs> you attempted to have George Bush, Dick Cheney, and Condoleezza Rice impeached, as far as I'm aware. Yes. And you also lobbied for the release of the file, the FBI files on the murder of Tupac Shakur and um, Martin Luther King Jr., which is like, that's yes. quite a resume before we even get to like, you're the author <laughs> of um, When China Sneezes, um, from the coronavirus yeah. lockdown to the global political economic crisis, which, I mean, uh, so I read the paper that you sent me, and I'm going to guess that that's basically a rough summary of a lot of the things that you cover in the in the book but it it really laid out for me like what an all-encompassing issue this is and like how huge a story yeah. it is this is like it's difficult to know where to begin do you know what i mean on on uh, because anytime these discussions come up now i almost like shy away from them if someone isn't like not on the same page as me but if there, there's not at least like some common ground i'm like i don't even know where to begin because it's like the way you lay it out is 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 um is a fantastic overview of just the number of different issues at at play here um so i mean what maybe the best place to start is is if we go back like a little bit and and sort of talk just okay. just briefly about about what made you get into politics in in the first place okay well um my First of all, I have to say that I am a child of the South of the United States. I was born and raised in Atlanta, Georgia, which was sort of like uh, the brains of the civil rights movement. And then you would have Alabama and Mississippi. Those would be the heartbeat of the civil rights movement. And so being a child of the South and growing up in that time, it was veritably impossible to understand what was happening around you if you weren't actually involved in it. And it, it was all happening around me and my father was involved in it. So um, uh, like, for example, I can't remember the year, but um, there was a young black man who had been convicted of raping a white woman. You know, that's the, the that, that's the old, old, um, Sort of, if you can't get them on that, on that, then, you know, if you can't get them on anything else, you can always get them on that because mm. there's always a willing witness who will tell a lie. Mm. And uh, this young man, though, I believe it was Tommy Lee Hines, I can't remember his name now, but um, he uh, was uh, mentally ill. I don't know what the mentally challenged, I think is what they say now. And so uh, he had the child, he had the brain of a six year old. He was, you know, sort of childlike. And um, 
he got sentenced, he got a life sentence for this rape and not life, uh, execution. And so there was a protest that was organized by Dr. King's organization. This is long after Dr. King though. Um, and as, as a part of that, organ, my, my dad went there. And so as a part of my uh, sort of civil rights education, he took me, but I had been involved in protests and sit-ins before when we were trying to get the Civil Rights Act passed in 1964. And that required um, people sitting in, in public places. And uh, I remember I sat in and at that time it was the Sheraton Biltmore Hotel. And we went there and we were singing freedom songs. I, I don't know, I must've been eight or nine years old or something, you know? <laughs> And um, I went into this hotel and it was like, there was so much gold. I was saying, oh my gosh, this is, I've never seen anything like this before. Oh, of course it was brass, but I thought it was gold. I, you know, <laughs> I, I didn't know any different. And uh, we had our box lunches and we were sitting there and, you know, this is a very expensive hotel. And the last thing the patrons want is to have a bunch of black people sitting in eating chicken boxes, you know, <laughs> but that's what we were doing. And um, so I, I kind of grew up in that spirit, but you also have to understand what the spirit was like in the United States at that time. Because remember uh, the US was involved in the Vietnam war and there were people who really were against this war and um, they were basically middle-class, wealthy, middle-class to wealthy white kids who were university students. And they were against the war. The Blacks were against the war. The Mexican-Americans <laughs> were against the war. And so in order to effect the kind of public policy change, during this time, you saw, you saw really what uh, Jesse Jackson said in his campaign, I think it was the 88 campaign, uh, the Rainbow Coalition, mm -hmm. the United States was really a rainbow. And there were flowers popping up everywhere. And those flowers, the flower children, were um, the young people who were able to work together, come together. So you would have a group like the uh, young Lords of the Brown Berets uh, come together with the Black Panthers, come together with the American Indian Movement. I mean, it was, it was a wonderful, wonderful time. It was like the United States was a laboratory for participatory democracy. And there were e egregious wrongs that everyone recognized as wrongs. And then this younger generation came in and they wanted to change things. Now, I was just below a little bit younger than that generation, those flower children and flower power and all of that Woodstock generation. I was just a little bit younger than them, but I had the spirit and the spirit was not just within me, it was in, within my entire family. So I was steeped in this kind of social change, uh, struggle for social change, readiness to protest. 
And also because of my educational background, I understood that I would have to search, how can I say, far and wide and deep in order to understand what my environment was. And so I could not accept what I saw on the news, although the news back then was a whole lot better and a whole lot less fake than it is today. But I couldn't trust that. I couldn't trust uh, government documents. And I was a voracious reader of US government documents. I became um, basically enthralled with the details of the COINTELPRO program. And this was when the constitution was literally just thrown away. And if you were targeted by the US government, it could include murder. And so the uh, US government became a party to the murder of US citizens who basically only wanted to be considered US citizens. And so I read, if the COINTELPRO papers are maybe five or so thousand pages, I've read about a thousand pages of them or more. And so I understand what my government is capable of doing. As a result of that, then um, I question everything. And I don't believe that there is anything beyond what people who are wielding power in the United States on behalf of me as a taxpayer and my family and my community and my country, there's nothing that they won't do. And I've seen it in in the reports, for example, the use of biological agents against Korea in the Korean War, uh, the biological agents that were used against Cuba's Castro, uh, Castro's Cuba, uh, the acknowledged assassination attempts against Castro himself, and also um, it something I explore briefly in When China Sneezes is the uh, fabrication or the creation of a virus that was concocted for the purpose of killing um, uh, Patrice Lumumba, who was being problematic in Congo. So uh, the United States government has not hesitated to kill abroad, to use, uh, we know they've used atomic weapons. The, uh, I think it was a British report that actually confirmed the use of biological weapons in Korea. And uh, we know that the United States transferred chemical weapons to the likes of Saddam Hussein to be used um, during the Iraq-Iran war where the United States was pumping both sides to kill both sides. And um, so uh, the ABC weaponry that is a part of the US arsenal has been used by the US. So now why would I dare to think that they wouldn't use this same arsenal against people inside the United States? And so that's what made me start thinking because I saw the, I was a a fanatic, a fan, I should say, 
of the Black Panther Party. And I was intensely interested in COINTELPRO, the counterintelligence program, as it was orchestrated by the FBI and the CIA and local police departments in conjunction with local police departments and how members of the Black Panther Party were labeled first as violent mm. and they weren't violent. It didn't matter. Uh, one study by, uh, I think his name is Bruce Cunningham. He's actually the only academician who has really studied COINTELPRO. And he looked at the patterns that the FBI used in order to destroy these civil rights organizations. And the most prevalent pattern was infiltration. Why? Because it worked. And so they used it over and over and over again. And we see infiltration today. So for example, in Canada, where there's a protest, when there's a protest, the protesters looked down and they saw that all of those agents provocateurs were wearing the same shoes and they were members of the police department. They had, the, their protest movement had been infiltrated as most cases um, of successful organizations, they are going to be infiltrated. We have the other example, for uh, example, of um, the uh, Stay Behind uh, NATO CIA um, experience with the Red Brigades. This is Operation Gladio. And uh, what happened in Operation Gladio is that the United States was particularly interested in denying sovereignty, full sovereignty to the voters of Italy. Had the voters been able to elect their candidate of choice, they probably would have selected someone from the far left. And so in order to prevent, and not just Italy, uh, this was all over Europe. This happened all over Europe. Oh, holy so, shit. Sorry, uh, I'm just looking at this for people um, for people who are interested. So on the, even on, like, I know Wikipedia is not exactly the most trustworthy source in the world, but. No, it's not at all. When you go to <laughs> in operate. Fact, I give my students demerits <laughs> if they use Wikipedia. <laughs> But um, if you just it, like on the Wikipedia page, just as like an example, they have um, operations in NATO countries. They have Italy, Belgium, Denmark, France, Germany, Greece, ne the Netherlands, Norway, Portugal, Turkey, Austria, Finland, Spain, Sweden, and Switzerland all listed as part of this. Whoa. That's right. I had never and even so, heard of this. Yeah, Operation Gladio. Now, the way we found out about Operation Gladio was from... Um, well, of course, you know uh, what happened in Italy with uh, Aldo Moro being kidnapped and the whole thing. And it was put, it was said that the Red Brigades had done it. Mm -hmm. Well, it turns out that the Red Brigades as an organization had been completely infiltrated. And so the Red Brigades existed as a name, but everybody that was operating inside Red Brigades was CIA. They had completely taken it over. And so that's what, so these are lessons to let us know if they will do it there, they will do it there. And if they will do it there, they'll do it there. And if they do it there, they will do it here. Yeah. That's the lesson that I learned as a part of understanding all of this. And so with Operation Gladio, now in terms of 
uh, getting the details for Operation Gladio, BBC Timeline has done a wonderful documentary where they go and they actually interview people who were on the CIA payroll, who planted bombs and, you know, they did all of the things that um, it's called a strategy of tension. So they did all of these things in Europe and they believed at the time that they were doing a noble thing for the right reasons. Of course, now, of course, we know that it was the last, it was not noble at all, it was ignoble. And it was for all the wrong reasons, which is another reason why I just can't believe when the United States government tells, oh my gosh, oh, I'm sorry. That's all right. We lost the camera. Uh, can, right. can we pause it for a minute? Yeah, so don't I worry. I'll, I'll edit this out. Don't worry at all. Um, okay, just, great. I was, Hold I on. was. Um, like just while you fix that, actually, I'll just I'll talk because okay. there was a couple of things that I wanted to 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 bring up that you sort of made me think of here. So, um, first of all, like you haven't even mentioned MK Ultra and the, the the horrors that that you know that were performed upon thousands and thousands of people just pulled off the street. Um, there was there's there, the very famous um, Operation Northwoods where the the government were sort of happy to arm human friendlies and blow up I think hospitals and they were planning to yeah like stage a fake invasion and then um most recently i believe it's 14 out of the 16 people involved in the attempted or the planned assassination slash kidnap of governor whitner or whitmer 14 out of 16 yeah. of them were um were u.s government agents it's like how is that like you know, I can't believe that when I when I heard that, I was like, what do you mean 14 out of 16? It's like, that's just an intelligence agency plot. Like, that's not some, that's not, they haven't infiltrated it. They're running it. Like, <laughs> which is, that's which right. is completely, it's, it's, it's completely It's not an infiltration. Bonkers. I'm trying to get this thing right here. So that's, just that's right. bear Don't with worry. me for just a minute. But and yeah, the, they, there is uh, nothing that you see, um, let me tell you what my lesson today in my introduction to political science was. I teach key concepts by key concepts because the textbooks, <laughs> the, the, the political science textbooks, I'm not a political scientist. I uh, study international relations. That's my thing. But um, the textbooks are just so full of whatever that I cannot in good conscience, teach from a Western-oriented textbook that is full of propaganda and untruths, half-truths. And so I think it's more important to focus on the concepts. So basically what uh, we looked at today were the various, yes, uh, last class was the various political systems. And then this uh, the class today, I talked about what happens in the real world with indirect democracy. So we've got democracy, which is supposed to, supposedly the best political system that ever existed, right? But I'm in a part of the world where the people actually had, they've had dictatorship, they've had junta, they, they've had um, monarchy, they've had all of the different kinds of political systems that um, at least in the US, we haven't had. Mm. And so I had students tell me, 
so I had to think about this for a while when the student told me, well, you know, we had a dictator and, uh, and we kind of like that dictator. So then I have to wrap my head around, okay, well now dictatorship is good for some people. And just because we say that, uh, you know, they tell us that democracy is the best political system in the world doesn't mean that it is. It's best, but who is it best for? And so then I make the differentiation between direct democracy and indirect democracy. Okay, what's direct democracy? Direct democracy is what Libya had before they got bombed to the Stone Ages um, with the Jamaharia. I went to Libya several times and I experienced the Jamaharia where 7 million people, which is their entire population, has the right to vote on a public policy issue. And when I was there, they were trying to decide, are we gonna subsidize gasoline or are we gonna subsidize education and bring more Africans into Libya so that we can educate them and they can help build Africa because that was the the, uh, sort of intention of the Jamaharia at that time. And uh, so I, I, I saw Uh, direct democracy. But then on the other hand, we always get a chance to see the effect of indirect democracy, which is sometimes called representative democracy. But the fact of the matter is that representative democracy isn't very representative at all. Hmm. And if you're a small country and uh, you are trying to exercise your sovereignty, what's going to happen is that this external power is going to come in with an indirect democracy which means that you've got a legislature. So for example, in Bangladesh, they've got 168 million people. They have about 400 people within the government structure that set public policy. So if the United States wants to control Bangladesh, they only have to buy 400 people. Whereas if you had a direct democracy, they'd have to buy 168 million people. And the, the, sort of culmination of this way of thinking just happened, what, maybe a month ago in Pakistan, where you have 200 million people in Pakistan. Imran Khan is the um, candidate that represents sovereignty and independence and freedom for the people of Pakistan. And however, whatever that number is of the legislature, votes him out of office in a vote of no confidence and he's gone and then the u.s puppet comes in Mm. so this is exact it it is an exact example of what i've been warning warning my students about your exercise your ability to exercise your freedom which you had your liberation war and your freedom fighters died for the sovereignty is limited to the extent that your whole country can be purchased before um, if you purchase 400 people. Mm. So uh, this is the kind of thing that we have to look at the reality of what is happening in the world and then understand that whatever is written in a a textbook and half of what is uh, broadcast in the media, the um, corporate owned media, and foundation funded media Mm -hmm. is uh, not true. That is, that realization is what led me 
to actually go to China in December of 2019. Oh, wow. Very prescient. That's like, I mean, <laughs> so I've been, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to get her on the show, but I've been reading um, Shari Markson's um, What Really Happened in Wuhan. I don't know if you've, you've looked at mm -hmm. it or heard of it. No, I haven't. Um, uh -uh. It's it's stunning like it, it it's it's amazing it's like i can't recommend it highly enough to anyone that actually cares okay. about how we how we how covid happened and how the whole yeah. thing kicked off because um she spoke to i it must it's got to be hundreds of different scientists many of whom were working on this early on people who were covering it through the entire yeah through the entire pandemic like updating their their understanding trying to figure out like was this a man-made virus was this something that mm -hmm. had been taken from like i mean the the part i'm at in the minute in the book is is talking about how it went how it's theorized at least that it was a virus found about eight years ago in like a different part of china in this mine and then mm -hmm. it had been yeah kept in the wuhan lab by um oh, and the woman's name escapes me she's called the bat lady mm -hmm. um so yeah, she was experimenting yeah. on um on yeah coronaviruses and, and yeah so it, and then it goes into the the furin cleavage site and and uh, yeah it's similarities to yeah different bits of um virus that were patented by moderna and i mean also for youtube yeah. no one should ever take anything i'm saying here seriously um for a disclaimer <laughs> um, so that that's not a very good disclaimer well, it means i can stay on youtube um, and not get banned <laughs> so although we'll see um i already i already got i already got a, a a community strike that can never be taken away for for talking about ivermectin um one time so that was good oh um, so I was and banned i from tell posting. you well, you, you're subject to get a strike just for having me on, period. Yeah, <laughs> I was, just to warn you. I Google, I, like I, I searched you in YouTube um, to look at mm -hmm. like some, some more recent interviews of yourself. And all that comes up is things from like 9, 10, 12 years ago. Like when you were on, uh, like when you were on Abby Martin's show, for example. But it's there's like no recent interviews that come up in, in the search, which I thought was hilarious. Yeah. Uh, it's like yeah, you, you became yeah, yeah. No, you, no, no. you became uh, <laughs> persona non grata apparently <laughs> that's right in fact uh i did an interview the other day and the young young man told me that as soon as he posted that interview he got a strike oh wow okay well we'll see what happens <laughs> <laughs> um but to sort of yeah to get us back on track here so i really like the way mm -hmm. you've laid out everything here where we've we've talked about times in which governments have been happy to commit atrocities against both um, foreign populations and their own because yes i think that's really crucial to start to understand where you're coming from um in um when china sneezes and a lot of the stuff that you've written in the the, the draft report that you'd sent me it's yeah, as I said, it's difficult to know where to begin. So why did you decide, like, so maybe why did you decide to go to China? Was it just like curiosity in 2019? Did you have like a tip or something? And and then when did you start to like read the book or not even read the book? When did you start to write the book? Okay, so actually what happened was, if if you, if you look at my bio, you'll see that when Obama was bombing Libya, I was there. When uh, the bombs started to drop in Syria, I was there. When um, 
Lebanon was trying to defend itself from an Israeli uh, at that of the fear of an Israeli incursion. This is after the 86 war, I was there. So um, you could say that I kind of do this global witnessing thing. And uh, if I'm told one thing then I want to go there and see for myself. And uh, we were told that the uh, China was, uh, uh, genociding, committing acts of genocide against the Uyghur people. Mm -hmm. And so I said, okay, uh, let me see if I can, I want to go. Let me see if I can get some other people to go with me. It turned out that uh, 18 people from the United States and two people from the UK joined me on a trip to go to China. We started in Beijing, we went to Xi'an, we went to Dunhuang, and then we ended up in, in, in Xinjiang. So basically what we wanted to do, Urumqi. And uh, Urumqi is like the autonomous province that is controlled and run by the Uyghur population. So, uh, and along the way in each of those cities, we immersed ourselves in the Muslim community that was there. So, you know, when we were in Beijing, we were, we were with Muslims. Uh, when we were in uh, Xi'an, we were with Muslims. When we were uh, in Dunhuang, we stayed in a Muslim-owned hotel. Uh, we just were trying to understand because the idea is that we were going to produce our findings, sort of like a fact-finding mission, and we were going to write our findings and that was gonna be a book. Um, but while we were there, something else happened. Mm. Something happened in Wuhan mm. and uh, we didn't have a clue. We did not have a clue. We're looking at the news every day, the English language news. Mm -hmm. And we had a few um, Chinese speakers with us who were able to translate when needed. Plus I had my little trusty trans electronic translator. But um, I mean, it's not like we were oblivious to the news. It just wasn't on the news yeah. at that time. And then uh, when we came back, on the way back, we, we discovered when we are like, um, when we get back home, maybe, a week later, China shuts down. And then um, I knew that the story about the treatment of the Uyghurs was gonna have to wait. Mm. And so then I quickly sort of regrouped and I had met people in China. So I knew that I needed to include them and their experience in the book. And then uh, when the lockdown spread to Italy, then I said, oh, okay, I gotta get me an Italian person to talk about this experience as well. Mm -hmm. So I have Claudio Peretti who helped um, sort of uh, provide an understanding from the European po point of view. Then, of course, it's impossible to discuss something of this magnitude and not discuss the, you know, so you had everybody talking about the um, medical 
situation as it was going on. But very, I don't think anybody really was talking about the politics mm. of the disease, the economics of the disease, the yeah, very maybe people. new world order mm. um, uh, mission. Yeah. That can, could I just, be accomplished can I just pause you there result. before we go any further than this? Because I know for a fact, right, that there are a lot of people who listen to this show who have been on board with everything that we've said or a lot of what we've said so far. You know, they're aware of like um, intelligent, like rogue parts of intelligence agencies throughout history, um, COINTELPRO, MKUltra, like the atrocities that have been com committed by the US government and by other governments around the world. Um, they're they're familiar with um, the Uyghur genocide. Like, I mean, I've had people on this show talking about it. Um, I've had people uh, talking about like the complicity of the UN in covering up things for China. Um, I had Emma Riley on the show talking specifically about how um, like police turned up to your house because there were like, like UN police had turned up to your house like during the one hearing about this that she was ever able to like get a discussion about. And people are all on board for everything that you've said, right? And as soon as you go to there was an agenda here uh, in terms of like how the world reacted to uh, to COVID and to the pandemic, it was like, there's an, an extent to which you, you can say, okay, people panicked. And I think a lot of people did. I, I definitely was like, what the mm -hmm. fuck? I have no idea what was going on, especially early on. But there was definitely people with an agenda who, as soon as this like set in, they were happy to try and take advantage of it. And I would like people to just, before we go into this, to, to, to hear you out and think like carefully about like saying that everything you've said up to this point in this interview has been accurate. And now, oh, well, that's crazy. Like, I'd like them to just, like, yeah. consider what you're saying. So, yeah, please continue. <laughs> okay, so, um, well, um, it's not the first time that a disease has had a political agenda. And um, it just so happens that, at least in the United States, the whole situation with HIV became along with a political agenda. And so uh, it's, it, it may be uncomfortable to explore these ideas, but I think it's also necessary if one wants to um, remain grounded in reality and um, stick with the facts, and then be willing to go wherever the facts will take you. So um, uh, I came back and, and started putting together the list of people who were already, and people were sending, I put something on, I must've posted something, I don't remember, uh, that I just came back from China. I was lucky to get out of China and, um, uh, let's see if the CDC is going to contact me because, you know, I was there. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, I didn't get any contact by anybody. And um, but of course, these people in Atlanta, Georgia, the, where the CDC is located, they know me very well. So they wouldn't <laughs> contact me if there was something wrong. If, 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 if everything were all right, then maybe they might reach out. But if something's wrong, they are definitely not going to touch me because I'm going to go all the way to the very end. Mm. Well, anyway, um, so uh, um, I found the contributors to the book 
who were willing to explore and just report what they, the, 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 the results of their explorations and were willing to think and uh, go where you're, it, it's sort of uncomfortable to go. And that includes Whitney Webb. Whitney Webb is one of the great investigative journalists of today. And she had written about DARPA mm -hmm. and DARPA's um, uh, research regarding coronaviruses. Mm -hmm. And um, then you have uh, Jeff J. Brown who wrote chapter one. And he has spent the last 20 years investigating biological weapons. So these are not newbies. These are not people who um, uh, sort of come up with a jackleg idea and then try to write, you know, 25 or 30 pages and get it published in a book. No, these are people whose life has been devoted to some form of truth about what is actually happening in the world. And these, and I was very pleased to get economists like, um, oh, now uh, I should have the list in front of me, but I got Michael Hudson, internationally renowned. I've got William Robinson, who spoke, who, who focuses on mainly on Latin America, but the piece that he wrote was excellent about global capitalism. Uh, we've got um, uh, Jack Rasmus and Peter Koenig, we have, as I said before, Claudio Peretti talking about um, uh, Italy and not just Italy, but sort of what could happen as a result of this. We've got Helen Bainiski who writes for Russia Today. She's a US citizen and she writes, she's a journalist, investigative journalist, and she just couldn't stop writing. It was just coming out of us, pouring out of her soul. Hmm. Um, what this really was her chapter is probably twice the size of mine and mine was twice the size of everybody else's um my chapter was on genocide is it possible to create the project for a new american century wrote on page 60 of rebuilding america's defenses that a genotypically specific bioweapon what bioweapon could become a politically a politically useful tool they wrote it I expect that they would carry it out. It was their intention. And so, of course, that's exactly what I would go and, and, and look and see. Is this, uh, people talk about the coronavirus and people talk about SARS coronavirus too, but very few people are willing to talk about the spike protein because yes, Coronaviruses are naturally occurring, but what about that spike protein? That spike protein has a special affinity for people who have a lot of ACE2 in their body, but everybody doesn't have a lot of ACE2. For people who have a lot of furin in their body, but everybody doesn't have furin, TMPRSS2, but everybody doesn't have it. So who doesn't have it? There have been studies that tell us who doesn't have it. But you can tell who has it because they're dying <laughs> or they're getting long, long COVID or whatever. You know, they're, they're having adverse health effects, not from the coronavirus, 
which everybody is willing to talk about. The poor health effects come from the spike protein. Now, it just so happens that Moderna and Pfizer's shots, which I refuse to call vaccines, turn the human body into a manufacturing plant of that very same spike protein. It's toxic. So no wonder people are getting sick. Hmm. And I, I just had a student to test positive. All of my students took the, took the shot. And uh, I had, this is the second student now who, uh, aside from the fact that they're shedding on me, uh, they're coming down with COVID again. And this is exactly what Geert van den Bosch predicted. Mm. So if you go back and you look at Geert van den Bosch. Yes, he was he on my show like you, recently, actually. Huh? I had him on the show recently, actually. I'll put the link in the oh. description for people. So your audience is fully aware of what is expected to happen and what is happening. So this little draft summary report that I did is it's just, you know, sort of me trying to figure out, let, let's get a, a status of what's going on here and put it all in one place, sort of like a literature review and academic work. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it's staggering. And if you go through it, uh, which let me open this document up. And, you know, this thing, uh, I agree with David Martin, who, who uh, is a patent attorney, and he went and he followed the patents. And uh, Jeff J. Brown, who wrote chapter one in When China Sneezes, he mentioned the patents. He also mentioned the fact that the United States operates over 200 bio labs around the world. Now, why are my tax dollars going into a bio lab? And nobody in their wildest dreams expected that there would be 46 bio labs operated by the Pentagon in Ukraine alone. Hmm. I will I will say, actually, just for posterity, that um, according to Snopes and Reuters and Yahoo, who I checked this out yesterday, they said it wasn't US run. It was just they were just receiving levels of support and funding across laboratories and health facilities. So that is the official narrative there. Um, just, yeah, for posterity. Yeah. OK, so in I do a uh, useful well, I think it's useful to me. Mm -hmm. Let me go to the end of this paper here. <clears throat> I'm trying not to also knock my camera down. <laughs> okay, so I have a section in here called Media Lies and Fake News. And uh, the article is written by J. Bart Klassen, who is a medical doctor. And in January of 2021, he published in the Journal of Micro, in the <clears throat> Journal of Microbiology and Infectious Diseases, an article entitled COVID-19 RNA-based vaccines and the risk of prion disease. So now he wrote that in 2021, January. The response from the American Council on Science and Health 
No, COVID mRNA vaccine won't cause Alzheimer's or prion disease. That was February mm -hmm. 2021. PolitiFact, the coronavirus vaccine doesn't cause Alzheimer's or ALS. February 2021. Health Desk, why are mRNA vaccines an unlikely cause of any neurodegenerative diseases? April 2021. Stephanie Seneff and Greg Nye were able to get something published in between this. Worse than the disease? Reviewing some possible unintended consequences of the mRNA vaccines against COVID-19. This was published in the International Journal of Vaccine Theory, Practice and Research. That was May, 2021. Reuters fact check. Oh, this is what I write. Reuters fact check needs to be fact checked because Reuters fact check says no evidence that Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine causes Alzheimer's disease. That's May, 2021. So you have this onslaught of articles saying, no, here's Britannica saying, oh no, it's not true. These are myths. University of Michigan Medicine saying fact check. No evidence. Agence France Presse says study falsely claims COVID vaccines may cause neurodegenerative diseases. Such pointed, that was such May pointed language, 2021. Though. Like that, like this, uh, because right, a, a lot of these things are you don't necessarily have like you. I don't think it's a stretch to suggest that something created by some of the biggest pharmaceutical companies in the world may have side effects that they did not intend. This would not be the first time that that had ever happened. And the some of the papers that you're presenting were people um, who are educated in the field saying, hey, this might be an issue, like might be an issue, like it could be an That's issue. That's correct. And then Reuters and, and all the, 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 the fact checkers are coming out and just being like, don't be ridiculous. There's absolutely no chance of this happening. It's like, hang on, like says who? That's right. Okay, you know? but now let me finish. Yeah, sorry. One year later, hmm. Prion Bose writes, prion-like domains in SARS-CoV-2, RBD, and ACE2 play important functional roles in viral adhesion and entry. Mm -hmm. That's January 2022. So now that's uh, published in the news medical.net. So now we're getting some acceptance. Okay, well, maybe there is something with this prion disease, okay? She said prion-like. So I guess that got her through. Then uh, you have the, mo the most recent, Claire Moray, Chemin, and Luc Montagnier, and Jean-Claude Perret. Perez, toward the emergence of a new form of the neurodegenerative Creutzfeldt-Jacob CJD, Creutzfeldt-Jacob disease, 26 cases of CJD declared a few days after COVID-19 vaccine. This May, 2022. So I, 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 I guess that might've been the last uh, study that uh, Luc Montagnier was involved in before he died. But so now, okay, 
prion disease. Yeah, what's prion disease? Well, it's this uh, CJD, uh, Lou Gehrig's disease, uh, Alzheimer's, everything that was poo-pooed throughout 2020-2021 is now accepted in 2022. Yeah. And you could do this with many different um, uh, assertions that have been made up based on research about what we're experiencing. And so it's very hard to know the truth if you're bombarded with the fake news of the fact checkers. Mm. So I don't care what Snopes says. Snopes has been, Snopes is a, a husband and a wife team that probably graduated from high school and that's about it. But they were able to say yes when Facebook offered them some money. So I don't put any stock in what uh, Snopes has to say. I do check them though. Yeah, I mean, I just feel like I have to bring it up to just because it's it's important to acknowledge what the mainstream is saying if we're going to discuss that we, we, you know, we think possibly they're lying. And, And that's why I check them. Uh, Facebook will put a Snopes thing up there and I'm going to click on it and to see what they're saying because I want to know what they're saying and then if what they say has some legitimacy then maybe I'll reconsider what I've posted but generally speaking it doesn't have very much legitimacy because I'm talking with uh, I talk to a doctor every morning Mm. every morning I, I talk to a doctor he uh, exchanges with me the latest research. I exchange with him the politics. And so, because what doctors have not been uh, schooled in is the politics of medicine. Hmm. So uh, now they're getting, uh, uh, particularly the doctors who, whom I name in this paper, they're getting a lesson the hard way and their, their uh, clients, their patients are getting a, lo- a lesson the hard way in the politics of medicine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, before we move on, I just want to, I want to pull something up for people who are watching as well. Um, so one of the, one of the concerns that people had about um, the vaccine was, was myocarditis. And that was again, <laughs> sort of suggested to be rubbish. And now on the gov.uk website, there is a section dedicated to myocarditis and pericarditis after the COVID nineteen um, vaccination, and again, like a lot of the a lot of the time, this isn't like loads of people. It's not. It's not like, thankfully, it's not like massive massive amounts of people. But like, it does exist, and like to suggest that anyone yeah. saying that this could happen was 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 wrong and didn't deserve a platform and and it's just it's an absolute lesson in why we shouldn't just accept institutional narratives and and just whatever the corporate press are saying because you know as as i said like thankfully this wasn't a, a, a situation like obviously i feel awful for anyone who 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 had like side effects from this um but yes. thankfully it wasn't a situation where it was loads of people you know it's it, it, we could have been in a way worse position if because we were just happy to go along with whatever the yeah whatever the corporate press is well i think we are in a us. worse position Let, let's just talk about uh let's go back to that document let me find it again which i will link but, for um, everyone actually in the in the description below um if that's all right 
Yeah, uh, let me go back to this document and go up to some of the observed health effects and where they come from. So for example, uh, <clears throat> the uh, all-cause excess mortality. So what, what happened is that we're having, we're experiencing more death now than we did a year ago and more death now than two years ago. So there's the, the expected mortality. And when you uh, reach that level and exceed that level, then it's excess mortality. And that's where we are for young people in the US. And um, the uh, information comes from two different places. So you have this CEO from um, uh, an insurance company. Yeah, I'm just and pulling. I'm just pulling the document up for you now. Um, it okay. was from Igor Chudov, I believe his name is. Okay, I, Igor Chudov actually um, was responding to. Robert Malone, who is a medical doctor who created the mRNA um, uh, technology. So uh, Robert Malone wrote about excess mortality because he read about this, the remarks of this insurance CEO who said that they're paying out so much money. And the reason they're paying it out is because people are dying. And so then uh, Robert Malone chimed in and Igor Chudov is saying, well, is Robert Malone right or wrong? And Chudov then uh, confirmed that Malone was right, that there is excess death. And they used the statistics. It is reported that a similar pattern holds for England as well. So these statistics are from the official government statistics yeah I'm and just, then if I'm we pulling go up the chart here um for people to see all, all cause excess mortality in the united states from 25 to 44 years and it goes from 2020 through to yeah december of last year so um it likes it goes up a little bit above um what i believe is the average um or expected yeah. um around march which suggests that yes yeah, some people were dying from covid and then around july it really starts to spike and then it comes back down a little bit towards the end of last year. It's this weird spike that's like, what on earth is going on there? Um, and Well, that's when people, so people get the, uh, the, the shot and then they anywhere from a week to three months later, you see the, the um, sort of the adverse or, or the effects. If they're going to have an effect, that's when you see it. So there's a lag to, the actual taking of the shot to the uh, adverse effects, but some adverse effects can occur with as quickly as a few days, 48 hours uh, to a week. Um, then of course you have, uh, let me show you here, and this is where the um, you look at the VAERS uh, vaccine adverse effects reporting system. You look at there, that's maintained by the CDC. And um, so uh, you've got deaths. And of course, this also is part of that insurance executive talking about 
how they are paying out so much money in uh, insurance payments and uh, disability. So the Department of Labor from the United States, the Department of Labor statistics came out and someone got the idea, well, let's look at who's applying for disability insurance. And based on that data, that's how you arrive at the fact that disabilities have increased. So deaths have increased and disabilities have increased. And there's a, there's a chart there. And then and there's that as well. the other thing that I, I really um, that kind of freaked me out in your paper was, and I didn't realize the number was this high, was the, the people looking at athletes. So it's um, according to one, one study, they think 500% uh, more soccer players in the EU are dropping dead from heart attacks than one year ago. It's like, what? Like 15, 15 players dropped out of the Miami Open due to, due to problems. And then... Yeah, it's something like eight. They think um, one team of researchers put the figure eight hundred and ninety cardiac arrests among athletes, including yeah. five hundred and seventy nine deaths. Wow, it's right. It's so freaky that like we don't like because do you know what it just for absolute like like reason like argument say it's just like say it's not say it's absolutely nothing to do with that then what the fuck is going on like has nobody what's curious happening? is what's nobody curious like what's like what this is that's the thing that like weirds me out it's like do we just is there like a switch in our in our brain that just goes yeah i don't want to know nope 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 i don't nope. know how you can look at this picture of this uh soccer player and he's you know lying down inside the goal yeah uh, he's fallen out and you see that over and over and over again. And you not say something's wrong. Yeah. Something's wrong. Yeah. I mean, Matt Letizia and then the here's the one been, on fetal yeah. deaths. It's probably the most devastating because, uh, this comes from directly from the Pfizer documents that a group of medical professionals had to sue the FDA to get. And what, uh, Pfizer, uh, showed in their own documents was that between 82 and 97 percent of pregnant women who took the shot had spontaneous abortions. That's wild. But have they That's said that pregnant Pfizer. women should not take these shots? No. They're trying to give them to six-year-olds, and they will. It's really weird, man. So this is, you know, uh, then I have, you know, grounded pilots, heart inflammation. Happen. So there's, the data here are from reliable sources. Um, the compilations are from competent individuals. And so now what is the public response? What should the public response be? If we had elected officials who really cared about us, this would, be, would have been stopped a long time ago, but it hasn't been because there's a lot of money in big pharma and folk don't mind getting a piece of that. I also have to agree with David Martin who says he places all of this at uh, President uh, uh, Trauma, uh, 
trauma. <laughs> uh, it is trauma. Uh, President, President uh, trauma. Trump's. That's so real. But, yeah, trauma. Uh, Trump and Obama. Yeah, but uh, uh, at uh, Trump's doorstep with Operation Warp Speed, because if the FDA had maintained that these injections. The contents have to be disclosed. The uh, human clinical trials have to be completed. Then we wouldn't be here at this point. If someone had, instead of playing it safe and talking about coronavirus, because then that allows you to talk about China. But if they had talked about the spike protein, then you have no choice but to talk about the laboratory work that was done to create the spike protein. And Trump knew this because uh, on my chapter, what I start the chapter off with is the letter that Trump sent to his medical staff at the White House demanding to know the origin of SARS coronavirus 2 because of the alleged four HIV inserts that were found in the spike protein. Trump knew. I believe that's why Trump came out and said, you know, it's a hoax or whatever he, you know, said in the beginning. Hmm. But the bottom line is that there was no political will to do anything other than what a few interested individuals wanted done. That is not the function of government should not be anyway. And it certainly isn't the function of democratic government. I think that people should start having an open mind about various political systems. And I think that, uh, for example, I was trying to show my students the yellow vest because of course I went to France to participate in the protest with the yellow vest. And one of the demands of the yellow vest is that France institute a direct democracy system. That's what they're asking for. And do you know that YouTube is um, censoring a video that explains, the, well, it's a, a, an interview of Yellow Vest uh, uh, activists. That's all, it's Yellow Vest. And the video is censored. So I couldn't even show my students the video. I said, well, it's all right. I will download the video and then I will upload it to my website and they will get a chance to see French activists demanding direct democracy. But the, the last thing the powers that be want is an informed electorate that are also policymakers. And it is possible for each and every one of us to be a policymaker. If it's good enough for Switzerland to do it, it's, it should have been good enough for Libya to do it. But Libya couldn't do it because they were African and no African can demonstrate self-governance and unlimited sovereignty, which is what we're talking about here. And so now the what you're seeing is, uh, for example, Japan, the United States has 18 military bases on the Japanese islands. Why? Is Japan a sovereign state? 
No, it can't be sovereign if it's got 18 foreign military bases on its territory, it can't be sovereign. And what we see is that there, the sovereignty, which actually is the space within which states are allowed to operate is shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. Yeah. And when a state says, okay, I am not going to accept diktat from the West, then that state becomes a pariah state. Yep, it's kind of disturbing. And um, yeah, I, I there's a lot. So we've, we've covered a lot here. So um, unfortunately, I'm, I'm probably gonna have to go here. But um, yeah, I, I think that's that's a nice place to leave it is this like uh, countries are, for, are, are increasingly losing their sovereignty to overarching international structures in which that we have no say. And um, right. it's important to be aware that that is happening or we will probably fall victim to it. Um, but right. if this is to be my last episode, thanks to all the, the stuff we've covered. Um, thanks, everyone, for listening. Um, it's been a ride. Um, but I will put the links for, for everything that we talked about um, in the in the description below. Um, I did want to bring up just very briefly what you were saying about that that figure. So I went to the study that it said. So it was that 200, there was 274 cases with pregnancy involved. Um, 23 Pfizer had reported a spontaneous abortion. Um, premature birth was two. Uh, outcome pending was five. I'm not sure. And then 238 of them had no data reported, which is like no data because clearly what Pfizer did was the, the numbers were so bad. They said, well, we're not just we just won't collect any more data. Well, I mean, that, that would be the implication, but I wouldn't want to, you know, imply that Pfizer you would ever lie. It, but I will. <laughs> Otherwise, we'd have the data. I mean, you'd like to think that if it was positive, they would they would attempt to follow it up. But I mean, I think they That's they right. probably just didn't care at that point because the governments yeah. had all signed. They'd signed off. It's just like whatever you got, here's the money. Just give it yeah. to us. Like, and and yeah. that's probably half didn't the problem matter. was that there was no. There was no requirement for them to produce the best product possible in the most transparent way because they'd literally already got the money and signed the contracts. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, unfortunately. But Cynthia, um, thank you very, very much for your time. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure. Great. Bye. Thanks for making it all the way to the end of the podcast. If you want to leave us a comment, that would be awesome. Please like, share, subscribe. And if you're listening on Apple, please leave us a review. Until next time, thanks for listening.